Hello, and welcome to 7th Level Bardcast. My name's Jason, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jared and Michael, and our guest host, Becky. Today we're going to cover the topic of metagaming. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. We have a uh, special guest who you've heard on the podcast before, uh, Becky. Thanks for joining us. Sure thing. So today we're going to cover uh, metagaming, uh, and I'm going to send it over to Jared to give us an intro into the topic. All right. Um, I'm going to do the foundation, as Jason likes to call it. Metagaming, and the way we're going to discuss it, is basically using information to gain a benefit from either your char- or for either your character or from the system. And it basically usually dampens the enjoyment or the play of the game. We're going to be splitting it into two categories. One which is going to be characters, and the other which is going to be the game itself. Um, For characters, we're going to be talking about basically using character or out-of-character knowledge. And for the game system, we're going to be talking about certain ways that you can use knowledge of the game system to elevate yourself. Does that sound fair? Yeah, good job. Thank you. I felt like that was an easier way to split it. It almost goes into a narrative mechanical split, but uh, I think character is a little more fair as far as the topic goes. But uh, Michael over there, um, would you (laughs) like to give us intro into uh, some of the first topics of character metagaming? Uh, Yeah, I would love to talk about this because... I think when we first came on this topic, we all had kind of a a split on whether we were going to go what's negative and what's positive. And to be honest, I think we all looked at it in a very positive way to start with because of the way we kind of use the shared narrative ideal for our games. And so there's a lot of metagaming that happens in that. But I did not. <laughs> comments from the peanut gallery have helped me <laughs> a lot in the past so i will jump back to the idea that what we're going to be discussing here is the two categories and we'll probably will allow jared to add his two cents and hopefully they'll be worth the two cents that that he's adding so so the first thing that we want to talk about is uh, a character metagaming hey michael yeah I really hate to throw you off uh, thought, but uh, before we it's all right. de- <laughs> uh, before we delve into it's not that, even I, I think it's fair that I think it should be fair that we should just kind of get Becky's take on um, some of this. Like we're all going to be throwing out our ideas, and we've all had a chance to throw our ideas into this uh, notes. Um, but before we actually start into notes, I'd just like to get Becky's perspective on metagaming, if that's cool with you. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Well, I'm slightly confused by the positive comment that Michael made uh, because <laughs> I it doesn't show in the notes, does it? No, because I never like in reading the notes. I got to look at a new perspective, but for me, metagame metagaming has never been a positive thing. In my mind, it has always been a way of cheating the system, not of not of making it more interesting or helping players as a GM. It's always been, for me, um, one of those things that's really frustrating when another character is using metagaming. 
so I was just, Michael's positive comment kind of threw me for a loop. That's because I was being positive. <laughs> yeah. We don't allow optimism here. Yeah, and I know um, that's something that we've talked about before. And so I know that that's like been the information that I've get gotten from you is like, hey, you know, I see this as like a bad thing. And, you know, I was like, well, it's not always bad. And I remember you being like, yeah, right. Like, prove it. Like, <laughs> and I um, still, I still feel that way. Like, I, I still feel like there's not a justification. Now I'm looking at the notes. Maybe you'll change my mind. But right now, I have a pretty strong reaction to the term metagaming. Yeah, and I think it's it's also a matter of perspective on on how you think about the metagaming. Like, you know, I mean, even in talking to Jared, when we were writing up these notes, he said, you know, oh, well, what kind of metagaming are you talking about? Because, I mean, you talk to somebody in the video game industry, and they're going to give you a totally different idea of what meta gaming means to them, or even meta. I have three definitions that only apply to video games, and like two definitions that can apply to everything, including the definition we're using. So... And these aren't things I come up with. They are things that are forced on me by others. It's another case of Jared only accepting one definition. <laughs> we need a Jared's corner of definitions of words. Um, Once again, Jared has proven my theory correct. And if you don't hear Michael for the rest of this recording, just know I've kicked him out of the chat room. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that's why I wanted to get an idea of what your perspective was, because I know um, each of us have an idea of what it is. As always, but there's, you know, there's definitely bound to be other opinions out there, and um, hopefully this can um, direct people into a different perspective on it. So, anyway, Michael, with that, uh, go ahead and go back to what you were um, delving into. Sad part is, is I don't really think I got into what I was thinking about, so I'm going to start from the top. Okay. One of the easiest and uh, the... Probably the most common way it, that people think about metagaming is how you're sitting at the table and you as a player are listening to all of the other players go through their turn and how they're interacting with the NPCs or the GM telling the story. And naturally, you as a player will assume that you know everything that's going on, even if you were not involved in those scenes. And you'll use that knowledge to direct your own action in your scenes. Uh, and that is, in an essence, what meta is, is that the context that w in which you are using your information is probably information you shouldn't have, especially if you weren't involved in a conversation between a player and an NPC or a player and a player where they were having a private conversation. So I think... The first step into this uh, this pool of conversation is talking about that most common way, which is using information your your player shouldn't have. Yeah, Jared, you got anything? Um, no, that's the way that most of our viewers will probably have realized what metagaming is. Some of the more, uh, I guess, esoteric definitions or abilities that we have that come later will uh, be easier to understand. Using Michael's stepping stone. <laughs> I think um, one of the other things I put in there is I think that as a GM, it's it's going to be your responsibility to look for these situations and tr sort of nip them in the bud. So 
one of the things that first comes to mind for me is taking conversations private. And we've talked about this in the past where we uh, mention using note cards and making a conversation where a player wants to do something and he doesn't want the group to know what he's what they're doing so they will give a note card to the gm and say this is the stuff that i'm looking to do and then a conversation will happen between the gm and the player without it being heard at the table and that cuts back on that that sort of meta play where another player might take the information and use it um for their character but yes jared I'd also like to say that a lot of people uh, find that difficult to do. And so the natural step back to that is to have somebody take their metaphysical turn. I'm using a lot of big words today. Uh, Take their turn in the role play. And then afterward, the GM goes, okay, what would you inform the rest of the party? Or what would you inform the rest of the players about? However, I do want to say that both of these have their drawbacks because... For example, when you're doing it by cards, there is no chance of intentional or unintentional. Whereas if you do it by voice and then say, hey, this is what I don't want others to know about, some players will still take that step of, oh, but I kind of know it, so I'm going to dance around uh, interacting with that character because I know that they've had a tip with that character, even though they don't know it. So there is um, a lot of finesse to it. And it is not going to be an easy thing to crack down on or really focus on. So I just wanted to kind of give everyone an inspiration of it doesn't have to be perfect. It's going to happen no matter what. So just kind of feel out the way you want to go about it and feel out the way your players want to go about it. Because in the end, there are also... I'm, I'm stepping ahead of myself, but in the end, there are also GMs who encourage metagaming, which we'll get onto later. So, Becky... Hmm. You are probably one of the better players that I've seen that can stay in character. Think about what your character is doing and why that character would do that. So I know you're pretty aware of yourself in those situations, but in situations where you're watching another player maybe metagame, does that kind of cue to you pretty easy or do you have to like specifically look for that or is there something that irks you like specifically when people do those kind of things? Well, because I don't think most people do it intentionally. It doesn't necessarily immediately upset me. Um, so a lot of times at the table, I politely will ask like, do you know that? Or just question it because sometimes people do say things and they don't realize that it's not something that they would, their character would know. So I've learned to just ask and Nine times out of ten, that will fix the problem. The rest of the time, though, it's pretty obvious that the person knows that they're metagaming. They don't care because they just keep doing it. And that makes me mad. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I just learned to ask, like, try to be polite about it and ask initially because that's the easiest way to know what they're thinking. Jared? I'm curious, then, because I know I have a bad habit of unintentionally metagaming. Or I'll think of something in a different way. Like, I think my character will know this because of this convoluted background thing. Which sometimes applies, and sometimes it's an excuse for me to metagame without, you know, psychologically thinking of it that way. So I was curious if you've ever had those moments with me, because I don't remember you've ever 
I think you've done it once to me. Ask me if I knew that. I don't know if I've had to ask you. Like, I know you do it. Um, and I'm not gonna... Here's <laughs> a funny thing with you, Jared, is because I know things about you personally, like, you know, I know, okay, so Jared has autism. I have experience with that because Adina has autism. So I feel like I might let things slide a little bit more. And okay. if, but if I do, if I do ask you, yeah. you usually have a reason why you think it makes sense. Um, I, I'm pretty sure other people have asked you, even if I haven't. Yeah. Because as we've discussed on the podcast, I usually take an antagonistic role. So some people will be annoyed with what my character does, even though I might have a reason for it. They'll think it's just me trying to ag- aggravate the situation. But um, I'm shocked. I was just curious if you had never. I'm really shocked. Michael, stop pretending to be shocked. I'm, I'm shocked that you would ever antagonize a table. And if I'm ever upset by something that you do, Jared, I'm probably not going to like. <laughs> tell you right then because as my, i think you've only seen me lose my temper like once and um i can only remember one time off yeah now. it's not my favorite thing to do <laughs> so but that doesn't mean that i don't like you know later i i'll tell michael and then we'll talk it through and if i feel like everything's settled after that then i don't feel like there's any real need to bring it up to you later and to rehash it well as long as it's not a repeating problem then yeah, but if you ever do have a repeating problem with me, then let me know. Because I don't often do things on purpose. So, to me, that sounds like, you know, if if it's something that's not addressed with that, asking the question, I think that's, you know, GM or player can ask that. Hey, is that something you think your player might know? Or GM can just straight out say, hey, that's something your player probably might know, might not know. But anyway, if a, a situation is not dealt with in that way, then I would say, yeah, uh, have the conversation with somebody and maybe you yourself can calm down uh if you're the one having the problem or i mean hash it out or you can go to that player and be like hey you're doing this and it's bothering me and you know i mean if i went to jared with that it sounds like jared would be like okay yeah thank you for the feedback so hopefully i would hope that jared would respond then that way but um (laughs) sometimes i get defensive (laughs) we all do but yeah i think that's that's the best way to deal with it those types of situations but yeah, uh, Michael, um, before we move on to the next one, did you want to add something in there? No, I'm just glad that both of them brought up the idea of how to handle that and how to solve it in a positive way so that the game can move on and it doesn't disrupt things. So that would be my take from this is pointing out to the fact that the advice that they've given on how to handle it is probably the best step. Also, keep in mind Becky's advice of sometimes, you know, you don't have to, if it's a one-time deal and it's not a repeating problem, you don't have to bring it directly to your group. You can hash it out yourself or hash it out with somebody you know and just kind of review the problem and see if it is something that you have to bring up or if it's something that isn't as important the next time that comes around. Right, exactly. Because maybe next time you come and you're like, oh, I forgot I was even like bothered by that. And if it doesn't happen again, then it's fine. But if it keeps happening, then you're going to be like, okay, now this is starting to bother me. Yeah, repetition is always the worst. Uh, so, Jared, I was wondering, maybe you want to take this next one? Because this was something that um, when we were writing up these notes, you were kind of um, ha- had information on. So uh, This one, I actually didn't notice it in games. I noticed it by reading a particular type of book called isekai which is usually somebody from the modern world dies in some way or re- 
is reborn in a different timeline or a different world or whatever, and they use inventions from Earth to better that world or to take control or whatnot. And to me, when I heard that, I realized that's actually something a lot of players do as well. Players will use knowledge that they know about physics or uh, conductivity or, you know, how the world is actually a sphere and that there's stars uh, and planets around us. And they'll take that and they'll bring it and give it to their character without discussing it about the to the GM. And it's usually described as, oh, it's something from my character's background was. My parents believed the world was a sphere and they taught me that as a child. And sometimes it doesn't matter. And other times... That's kind of something that you were planning on having affect the campaign as the GM, and it's kind of bullshit that the character did that. <laughs> so that's a very niche one, but still very prevalent in metagaming, is to take something that the player knows, such as how to build a gun, or such as the world is a spear, and give it to their character without prior notice or agreement of any of anyone else in a non-joking manner. To just allow them to do things that their character normally wouldn't. And it is a very fine line, I think, and a very niche thing, as I mentioned. Because a lot of times it doesn't affect something. We do it all the time as a joke in our campaigns. And I've seen people do it and just get permission from the, or forgiveness from the GM later. And it turns into a core point of their character and an interesting aspect. But in the, co the core essence of it is still a metagaming. And it can be used to give yourself an advantage in a situation without any prior notice or whatever to just have that knowledge from our world as a character. And this is uh, kind of interesting, actually, because I do want to focus or repeat what I've said and that it can be a positive thing. It can become a very unique character development or a unique story point or something like that. Or it could just be bullshit to help you get through a physics puzzle. I actually have a an example of it in a positive light and i really think like this really comes down to you talking about how it's a fine line i don't think it's a definitive line because really it comes no. down to is the gm gonna make the decision on this what is the gm's ruling on this as far as it, if it's gonna affect their setting but if you're working in the the a concept of shared narrative where you're trying to help encourage your players to help you build the setting my example is acquisitions incorporated because they took entire an entire meta understanding of contracts and a corporation and you know all those things that are now and they inserted them into the D&D &D setting and their GM said okay let's roll with this and it became the world that they now have a book from you know I mean that book covers an entire setting that they created from meta knowledge that they pulled into the D&D &D setting so there is a positive like you said that can come from from it but it's just a matter of you know is that gonna mess with um, what the gm had in mind or you know what the gm is capable of incorporating in their setting michael go ahead i was just thinking something jared said about the people having a belief in the the world is a sphere if that were presented to me as a gm and they said that in character i would immediately have the world around them react if it's not common knowledge or common belief that the world is round, there are consequences to that in character. So meta-knowledge coming from the player into a world can have some consequences if they actually profess that belief. I mean, for the longest time, the world as in our history did not believe things like that, and you were ridiculed and cast out and became a pariah. So I think society would say something 
and you could solve the problem inside the game without having to take it outside of the game rather than doing a retcon and saying, okay, well, you can't know that or you wouldn't have that belief. You can say, all right, you can have that belief, but there's going to be some consequences to what you're talking about. You might be an outcast. You might be a pariah. Unfortunately, that hits another bugbear of mine. We don't like bugbears. Uh, what I just wanted to say real quick is there was several times when I try and do something as a character or something, or I try and make a, my character unique in a way, and then a GM just shuts me down by basically saying that if I'm ever open about that, it be, it's going to become a problem, or I can't do this, or blah, blah, blah. And basically, they allow me to have it, but allow it to have no impact. And that's another five line, but it's also not on topic, so I'm not going to listen to Michael's rebuttal. Yeah, I, I don't think we want to go down that road because I was getting ready to say no. something. I'd rather hear what Becky has to say. This one is a strange one for me because I hadn't thought of it before, like, tonight. And I think this is one of those that is a very unintentional metagame because you come to the table with, you know, your creativity comes from what you know of the world. There's no, there's yeah. no other way that that happens. So, you know something in the world, you're going to put that into the world that's being created for you as well. But I, there are some things that are more obvious. So there are some, depending on the setting, um, I know there's been times when we've been like, oh, well, can I roll to see if my character might know this? But there are other times where I feel like it's so subtle, like you wouldn't think anything of it just because... It's such a natural thing in our in the real world that you accidentally just put it into play as well because it seems obvious. So I yeah, this one is a strange view for me on metagaming, which is kind of odd because when we were playing the Tales from the Loop, there were technologies that we know about now, but in the eighties they didn't exist. But we were always thinking in the in the way. Well, most of us were thinking in the way we do now rather than thinking about things in the 80s. So that that kind of uh, meta knowledge rolled over into that game quite often where we'd think, oh, we'd, we'd make a phone call on a cell phone that doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> we have to think about it and go, oh, wait, oh, yeah. by the way, I'm going to have to make a call at a payphone and have actual money to put into it. I also want to point out that I knew that was going to happen, especially for me. So I, I intentionally had my character be the child of at least prominent scientists that worked within Loop itself or next to its area so that I would be able to kind of bring in some of my own knowledge that way with the excuse of my parents are cutting edge. But Yeah, I think I think Becky really nailed it on the head with, you know, how unintentional this one really is. Yeah. And I think and that's when you, as a GM, you're, you should be a little bit more lenient on the ones who are unintentional um, versus those who are, you know, intentionally doing it. Or just look for a miscommunication. Make sure that, you know, when you explain the setting, oh, shoot, I forgot to tell you about this part of the setting. And if it's already come into play, you know, maybe don't retcon that. Maybe just go forward with it and now include it in the setting as long as it's not going to mess with everything. So, yeah. I think that's uh, that's a pretty good uh, take on, on that type of metagaming. Michael! Jared has often spoken on this podcast about his predilection towards being the antagonist in the party. And sometimes that will lead to an unintentional use of player bias or 
or reading too much into their actions or or even using a little bit of meta knowledge just so they can get that eh, little bit of edge to to poke the bear. And I, I really think that this is something that uh, players should be aware of. I don't think it's that common as far as uh, other games, other players I've met. It, to me, is something that Jared has as a personality quirk where he likes to test the waters, be contrarian about a lot of things, and actually cause more story between the players than um, the story the GM is throwing out. But it's it's sometimes uh, very exciting. But as I have always said, Jared has a challenge rating that is two levels above what everybody's actual level is. So there have been times when we would be in a D&D game and he would add two challenge rating to the encounter and make it even harder because he would accidentally do something and or he would point out a rule that would actually be in favor of the encounter and the players would be, you know, in a bad situation. Or he would just go light his tent on fire and then blame it on a fireball. Hey, hey, no, I don't accept that. You can blame me for all the storms, all the weather. I did not light that tent on fire. But in an essence... Also, for the record, I've been giggling out throughout this entire triad of Michaels. <laughs> in a nutshell, this comes down to basically a, a, a player style. It's not really something that I would point to as a huge issue. It just falls into that thing of, this is something I noticed about a particular playing style. <laughs> I think the other is a little more, like in depth of it and that is the player bias when a one player has a, a bias or a vendetta or whatever you know they they just don't like them or they when they have a problem with another player and they then use the first one that we talked about maybe some of the information that they got from that person's turn and use it against them or even just make a character to specifically go after that other character. That's That can be a problem, a meta problem. Jared? Uh, I just realized that as soon as you said that, bias also doesn't only mean that you have a bias for, to coddle, or against, to injure another player or the player's character. And bias can also just be, like Michael said, a playstyle. I am very biased towards chaos, antagonism, and... Just general mayhem. And honestly, Jason is too, actually, now that I come to think about it. But um, yeah, so when you we talk about player bias and metagaming, we're not just talking about you not being favorable or being too favorable to another character because of the player, but also a player's inherent interest or play style towards a certain type of activity. You know... Jared, I, I wouldn't say that I have a predilection towards mayhem <laughs> or chaos. It's more just like, I ask myself one question every time. Will this be funny? <laughs> and if the answer <laughs> okay, is fair. yes, then I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, Becky, you look like you got something to say over there. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of all Jared's chaos characters <laughs> and the way they affect me at the table. No, it's... I don't really know that I would consider what you we were just talking about as metagaming. Um, maybe the bringing in a character just to mess with somebody else. Possibly I can I can get behind that. But as far as player bias and like you know Jared always plays kind of the same 
type of antagonist characters. And I don't really view that as a metagaming situation. You just made me think of one, Becky. I do have one that's a bias that I would consider metagaming. And that is if wife or girlfriend of the GM or vice versa is at the table uh, and they gear things to where they are less affected by it that's definitely a form of meta that i think could be a problem but are you talking about like so they influence the game in such a way that their significant other is not affected not negatively affected not as much as everybody else yeah i can i can see that but i can also see that with just anybody like a new player is at the table, so you kind of let them fudge their roles so that they, you know, don't have as dire consequences. And I guess that could be metagaming, I guess. <laughs> I, I have a question I would like to post on okay. Becky. Is the reason you don't think it's metagaming because it's not happening repeatedly? Like, if somebody, if it was like 16 sessions in and this certain person still was getting noticeably lessened consequences or noticeably increased benefits... How would you feel about that? I don't know if it, I, I mean, no, I wouldn't like that. I just don't know if I agree that it's a type of metagaming. I think the way you guys are defining it and the way I view it, I think are just very different things. So while I see it as it's an it's annoying and it, you know, probably needs a conversation and should stop. I don't know that I get behind the metagaming theory for it. Which is entirely fair, because like we said in the very beginning... I myself have five definitions for metagaming that can be applied to various things. So it's not a well-defined topic in my I opinion. I think that the one piece of the definition that we have laid out here is the aspect of cheating. If player doesn't feel that the game is being uh, refereed or run in a fair way, then they would feel like they're being cheated. And so the this part of that fits into that but it's really like i do agree it's a little bit of a gray area but it's that one aspect of it that i would link it to metagaming by our definition here and that is my definition of metagaming is basically cheating like it's it's the same thing in my mind and so that's why i don't have any real positive view of metagaming because the way i have always interpreted it is that it's cheating, and so cheating sucks, and we don't want to do it. And I don't view, like, if the GM is doing something for the story, I wouldn't view that as metagaming, whereas you guys might. So I think that's the big difference between how I think of things and how you guys are thinking of it. You're broad, and I'm very narrow in my definition. Yeah, because the definition I've been working on is whenever a player elevates or hinders a character through player-only knowledge. But that's cheating. <laughs> I mean, yes. It is. So, I mean, it's literally the same thing. Yes, but... Uh, I'm still puzzled by the fact that nobody reacted to her calling us all broads. <laughs> <laughs> I think what it really comes down to, if you look at it, I mean, like, okay, let's look at it in that terms. That's cheating. But if your GM's cool with it and you're and they're allowing it in the game, then it can become not cheating? I mean, I don't know. I think you just need a better DM. I think it goes back to the idea that, and, and this is something that we presented during the retcon episode, is that if you get a general consensus from the table, 
something that feels unfair can be fair if everybody agrees to it. Yeah. Uh-oh. I, I see that look. Oh, no, she doesn't agree. She almost agreed, and then she just... Yeah, we haven't sold her yet. All right, that's fine. We'll get to the positives later, and then we'll try and sell her there. So so let's get back to the next thing that we're going to talk about. GM knowledge, and um, GM's using that knowledge for the NPCs to be able to do things that maybe that NPC had no way of knowing in the first place. That is... It's it's an uncomfortable situation for players because, you know, it's 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 harder to call out the GM on stuff. Now, I'm not going to say that it's, you know, some players find, you know, have no problem saying like, hey, GM, you suck, or uh, just starting a clock on their GM. But uh, <laughs> <Fuck off. laughs> other players might have, some, have a problem saying something to the GM. So I think it's really the responsibility of the GM to make sure that they're saying like, okay, so the, this NPC is involved in this part of the story and they've talked to this other NPC that got the information from the players. Did that actually happen or am I forcing that to happen in order to get that information transferred over? Don't fake out behind the scenes transfer of information if you really know that it's it was not really possible for it to happen so and in that same way don't give npcs automatically all the information that you have as a gm because then it's just going to make it unfair for the characters to be able to interact with those npcs and and you know lie to them or you know trick them or you know or even you know just try and get around a situation yeah, I'm rambling. Uh, somebody jump in. <laughs> so are you talking about where an NPC just always knows everything? Then I, that I agree with. I thought you were being more broad with it. But you're just talking like the, the NPC knows all the information, so you have no chance to act against them is basically what you're going for, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, you know... Yeah, I mean, they, they have an answer for everything because they seem to know everything. That's that, that's definitely painful for a character to try and interact with someone like that. So, see, I don't feel like that's hard to call the GM about, but the, maybe that's just me. Because um, I feel like it's exactly the same as, as asking a player, like, well, how do you know that information? And probably for me, it's easier to say it to the GM because whatever they're doing is affecting my character, probably. I mean, that's probably why I'm why I'm saying anything about it or even paying attention is because it's affecting me. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, got it. Becky pays no attention to I anyone don't, else's I don't. I've turn. zoned out like 20 times during this. <laughs> but no, I mean, I feel like it's easier to ask the GM, like, well, why does this NPC know that? I don't know why. For me, it would just be easier. Okay. I have something to say on this as well. I can't wait. To me, it's not just when an NPC seems to know everything, but also when a GM is forcing coincidences. And I think Jason touched on this a little bit. Sure, there might be a case where a guard saw somebody do something and then he towns, uh, uses a magical crystal to notify a magical tower and then the magical tower sends out wanted posters and to all the borders and blah 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 that might be a completely normal coincidence or it could just be an excuse because the gm doesn't want the group to leave or doesn't want the group to get away with whatever they did so it's a way of them punishing them so they're forcing the coincidence rather than allowing things to happen naturally or allowing the players to get away with something that was unexpected 
And in those cases, it can be really hard because even if the players say, well, how did they know? They go, oh, well, a guard saw you and then he phoned the uh, magical tower and then the magical tower sent out warrants. Simple as that. Okay, but let me... And a player can't really argue. But let me ask you this. Is it a problem only when it doesn't make the story better? So say the GM does this, but the story ends up being better for it. Sure, their intentions were from the beginning that they were going to use this knowledge because they didn't like the unexpected way it went. And that's when it's hard for the GM because they're going to... There's going to be times when they use that knowledge and it does improve the story, even if it's frustrating for you at the time. So how do you know the difference? What do, what do you think would make the difference? I will answer your question and we'll move on to Jason because he wants to say something. So remember that thought, Jason. Uh, for me, the simple answer is it doesn't matter. When a GM controls the coincidences like that, or when I feel like the GM is railroading me like that, I get very upset because that's my natural reaction and it's not something I like or not the reason why I play the tabletop games. So for me, it doesn't matter if they're trying to improve the story or not. It just matters that they're blocking me off of doing this thing that we worked hard to do. Um, and that's unfortunate. And I'm not saying that it's easy for the players. I'm not saying it's easy for the GMs. It's incredibly hard and it is a convoluted trail to walk. But I just wanted to help people think on these things and be aware of them. Did I answer your question? Yeah. So I okay. think uh, he didn't say the word, but I think the word that is going to come back into that is cheat. If a player feels cheated by what the GM did, then they're going to say something. Like if you feel cheated out of what you like, if you role played out a situation or even mechanically played out a situation and the GM just looks at that result, result and is like, okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and cheat you out of what that result was. Then you feel cheated, then you, you're going to say something. But if, yeah, if the story goes forward and you're like, oh, yeah, that's an acceptable thing that happened. But it was, you know, the GM may have used meta knowledge. I think you're less likely to be bothered by it. And that's one of the things I wrote in there, like, okay, so here's an example that I was thinking of for myself. Sometimes in a story, if I have an encounter or an event that I hope to happen, and I ha come across a scene where I'm like, oh man, this would make the story like come together a little quicker, I might move that event into that scene even though I never intended it to be that way. Maybe the timeline doesn't exactly correlate with that happening then, but I still move it there to try and help the situation out. That's, I think, what Becky's talking about is, is making this situation better by um, involving those situations. But I think as a GM, you have to decide, like, is this going to mess with the players or is somebody going to catch me in the middle of my uh, lie, if you will, <laughs> and and be like, hey, that, how would that happen? And so I think sometimes it's just better off to try and improvise on an unexpected situation. I'd also like to say that I'm not against doing what you just said, and I do approve of, of keeping a looser frame so that you can move or modulate events or whatnot. And I'm not against a setback, even though I've done something and worked hard for it. But it has to feel like the GM isn't out to get me. I think that's the crux of it. Because there have been some times when I've done something very unique and driven. And then I get shut down by the GM and it feels like they did that. Okay, so uh, Michael... Michael, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to uh, jump into the mechanical stuff 
since I'm looking at our time frame right now. So I think jumping from this topic into game is actually pretty easy. There's a nice segue that goes from something that a GM does to the mechanics to help move things along, but sometimes it's not what players want to... They don't want to see it happen too often. They don't even want to know about it. And that is the ability of the of the GM to use some of the mechanics to their advantage. For example, fudging with the dice or trying to use a mechanic that you know is going to cripple a particular character in their mechanics. So the GM is essentially pushing things in a direction so that the story can play out the way it has in their head. And you can quickly devolve into a a railroad situation where the GM has this plan played out already in their head and the players are just kind of rolling along in this predestined story. So I think what might be a good uh, stepping stone into the type of metagaming that I'm talking about here is how the GM can um, use the rules in their favor of their story, almost to the point of uh, railroading or a deus ex machina situation. So I, I feel like that's something that a GM wants to avoid, and it can lead to what we're defining as metagaming as cheating the players out of fun. And I think the players, if they're going to be, uh, oh God, I don't want to say uh, punished, but if they're going to be like, you know, told, hey, you can't be doing these cheating things, they want, don't want to then turn around and have the GM doing it against them. So yeah, uh, Becky. I, as he was talking, I was getting kind of a memory of a game. The only game that I have actually just gotten up from the table and quit mid-game. But I was having a hard line, hard time earlier just from the notes seeing where where what's on the notes was metagaming. But as Michael was describing it, I got a kind of a clearer picture of a GM that has set the story and has very specific things. So like in the game that I played, everything I did failed because none of it was what he needed to happen for whatever he had created in his in his mind. Um, so I, I feel like I might understand where you're going with this topic now, whereas I didn't before. But Michael, I, I'm sure you know the game I'm talking about. I do. And is that, is that a good reference point to where you're, what you're trying to get across here? Am I understanding that right? Uh, yes, because a GM can use the mechanics of the game by their interpretation to put you in a box. And, Sometimes it's a reaction to a player using the mechanics in favor of their character to make their character appear without flaw or without uh, any weakness. And the GM goes in and, and either in, in the situation you're talking about, they have a story they've already told in their head. And they want to play it out. And no matter what you do, you have no effect on the world. And that kind of metagaming starts to really take something we'll talk about down the road, take away a player agency. So I, I think that's the steps that I was kind of leading towards as far as the metagaming of the game. As a GM. As a GM. Which, on the other hand, players can do something similar. That's when they get into min-maxing and synchronizing their character to the point that they become flawless and 
and indestructible no matter what a, a GM does. They become a challenge. Becky? <laughs> no, that's when I hate the min-max characters because exactly what he said, there's no flaws. They've thought of everything. So, like, everybody else at the table has challenges because they haven't done that to their characters. And then there's always, not always, but frequently, there's at least one person that min-max the character to death and can do anything and everything, and that takes away from the other players at the table. Exactly. Exactly. That's, to me, that's the biggest problem, is if you're creating a character that's capable of doing all the things that the other players' characters can do, then why is anybody else at the table? Like, you, you're just creating someone that's going to be, you know... Like, it could just be a one-player game, and nobody wants to play in that one-player game where, you know, oh, well, so-and-so can do this because they have that. Oh, no, no, my character is probably better at it, so uh, I'll I'll go ahead and do that. Um, that can be said about, that can be said about multi-class characters in D&D, where they cover such a broad spectrum of things that the other players don't really have a role in the game. What were you going to ask me, Jason? Uh, I was just going to ask what your opinion on that was. Um, I have a few views of it. The very first thing I want to say is a lot of people will say they're not min-maxing because they've minimized something and it's a flaw in their mind. However, it's something that comes up so rarely in the gameplay or something that is so minimized in the risk that having it as a flaw is just no purpose. But to them, they'll say, I'm not min-maxed, I have a flaw. So, be aware of that. People don't always agree with what is min-maxing or whatnot. Which is why I also had us include the synchronizing term, where you, you basically take different skills and have them in combined in such ways that you cover everything or that you become unstoppable in certain scenarios, and then you just guide the story to those scenarios. That's also basically what a lot of people think of min-maxing, even though it's not the actual definition, but it's still a problem and it's hard. The other thing I wanted to clarify is I have actually seen somebody have a lot of fun with what you guys just uh, bashed. There was a game where somebody joined two other players. The two other players basically covered everything. They could hardly be beaten almost anywhere. However, the third player was utterly useless and just a, a calamity walking. They would walk into trouble constantly. And the entire game basically became a roleplay scenario of these two people trying their damnedest to protect and win the affection of this useless character. And it was a fun time and it was a good little joke and whatnot. But the main thing about that is everyone was on board and they wanted to see that story play out. They wanted to have fun with those characters and they were all happy to be a part of it. Which isn't what we're talking about right now. We're talking about when, as we've mentioned earlier, somebody feels like somebody else has been dishonest, like they've been cheated, or whatnot. And that's actually the more common version of min-maxing. Um, those are the th my thoughts on what you guys were just saying. Sorry, I burped. Excuse me. Yeah, so what are some ways that, as a GM, you can discourage this? Any ideas? No. Except for just straight up telling somebody that, hey, your character has very little flaws and you're always guiding the story to make them invincible and it's not fun. And just being upfront with them is the only thing I can think of because if you adjust a game to counter what they're doing, then you're metagaming their metagaming and sometimes that's fine. 
but sometimes I, I find it usually it turns into a mess and it's not about the story anymore. It's about moving chess pieces on the board. Well, so I don't have any other solutions to you, Becky. Normally, when you start a campaign, the GM knows the basics of the characters being created. So I feel like it would be pretty easy for a GM to catch the initial, at least the initial min-maxing of a character and just not let it happen. So I, <laughs> I, I guess when you are going later through buying XP, but even like spending XP, it's generally a discussion. So I'm I'm having a hard time understanding how the GM wouldn't see it. Okay, so I want to point... Okay, well, I'll let Jason go first, but I have a perfect example of this. Becky. Well, I actually... I've talked about this many times. I have a problem seeing when people are cheating because I don't think in those terms. When I wrote my rules for stuff, oh, yeah. I had problems writing rules that people could cheat easily. And then I, that's why I have playtests because I don't see when the cheating is happening until all of a sudden somebody's doing a bunch of things and it's like, oh, wow, you're really killing these monsters fast. Or, yeah, I don't typically see it when i look at a character sheet because i don't think about all the variables i'm just like oh that'd be cool that'd be cool and so i don't make those variable thoughts in my head whereas somebody who's good at that can be like oh well if i use this to add to this and this then they can start min maxing the crap out of something but i don't see it very easily and i should say that i don't gm i'm terrified of gming so my perception of what a gm <laughs> can do may be very different than the reality, uh, just because I don't have that experience. So you can take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things do get overlooked, and I, I was going to make fun of Michael, because in his uh, game that's running called the Horse Lords, we ran into a scenario recently where we found out that one of the characters has rank 7 skills, when Michael had told me no to getting a rank 5 skill, because he felt like it was too advanced for my character at the time. And then we come to find out somebody has rank 7 skills, and then somebody else made a new character, and that person also has rank 7 skills. And meanwhile, I'm like, but I want to have dogs. I can't get my rank 5 skill. Which I made fun of for Michael, and he, uh, you know, immediately pulled back, like, I'm not going to retcon because that's too much. And we had a talk. and Yeah, it was a matter of me not paying attention to them spending their XP. So I would give them XP. They would say, I'm going to raise this skill. They wouldn't tell me what they were raising it to. They would just say, I'm going to spend XP on this. Sure. Because when it comes down to it, you know, <laughs> skills are skills and, and, and dice are going to be mean to you the more skill you have. You have a better chance of utterly failing and looking in, in, like a fool. But I, I should have paid attention to what they were buying and what level they were buying. But they never mentioned that they were going to level 7 until later, I found out. Which also brings me to the other side of that, which is, as I mentioned myself, Michael told me no to a skill 5. That was because I explicitly stated, hey, I know it's only been a session since I raised this to 4, but I want to raise this to 5. I know I haven't really done anything to earn it. But could you let me? And he said, no, I don't believe that your character, blah, blah, So we discussed it, and I, w I wasn't just making a report of raise this, raise that. I told him what I did, and I told him why I wanted it. And that's something I would often actually encourage for how to avoid these kinds of things. Encourage uh, players to tell you why their characters have earned the increases that they have put marked down on the character sheet. 
and ask them about what their stuff is. It's a lot of extra work, but, you know. Which is why sometimes it actually benefits you to uh, roleplay out some of the benefits that people get. as they, You yeah. know, I used to have, like, reasons, like, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't say used to. I-, I try and come up with reasons, like, why is this skill getting better? Because when I create my character, I'm looking at, like, okay, well, they have this much strength. What do they do? Like, why are they like that, you know? Like, I use those to try and give me information about my character. So when they go up in level, I use that to, well, why did that increase? Oh, well, they had these more social situations, so now they're better at talking to people, so on and so forth. But yeah, that's, Michael needs to get better at tracking stuff. You're absolutely right. That was the point of your talk. I mean, so do you and so do I. (laughs) I just thought of a better way of phrasing it. In my defense, I would like to defend myself here. I re- I realized that I mean I I think I have done a terrible job at tracking things like that. <laughs> I will be the first to admit I stop caring what people's levels are, but if they bring it up in front of me, I'm going to go, "Okay, well you're asking me for a judgment, so you obviously think I have an opinion." I'm going to say yes or no. I guess if I'm going to say yeah. anything to players is if you want to get away with something, just don't tell them the details. Um, but the reason that I stop worrying about those kind of details or tracking everybody's XP is because, for me, it's the story I'm trying to tell. They're not going to get an advantage over that story because they have a, a high skill in something. Not because I'm determining them. Yeah. Not because I'm determining anything. But there's always the opportunity that they will succeed with great success. But in L5R, which is the game that Jared's referring to, there's always some story element that's playing out that skills have no effect over. Everything in that game is based around the code of the Bushido, and you can have a level 7 in your sword slicing skill. But if you aren't following the code, that sword slicing skill will not help you when you have to deal with the social impact of your actions. So actions for me are more important than skills. Hmm. Yeah, and in that game, it does give it, it does give you leeway. Although there are some other cases where you know you've expected us to have to deal with a certain bad guy, but we resolved it very easily because of certain high skills, which can also, in his defense, happen no matter what, because that game has exploding dice, which means theoretically you can roll over nine hundred. Which also, with exploding dice, it's less predictable. Yeah, so it goes back to my idea of not caring what their stats are, because they could have three dice and they could explode and, and roll a critical success. Huh. Okay, so real. I had a parting ward. Okay, but earlier I said earlier I said uh, to tie things to the narrative, and Jason and Michael kind of echoed that. What I realized after that was that we all said that because we like the narrative. If you don't like keeping track of something, don't tie something to it. If you prefer uh, other ways of keeping track of something or something interests you, tie whatever you feel is important, uh, metagame-wise, to that so that you can keep track of it easier. That's all I was going to say. Thank you for that. So I would like to just go ahead and jump us forward to some of the positive aspects of metagaming, the ones that Becky says don't exist. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And uh, I kind of, I would like to... um, I'll just quickly um, touch in on this. So what 
we really like we started talking about you know, what do we consider positives and we'll give examples here in a second but I think really what it came down to when we really looked at it was if the game encourages a sort of metagaming um, aspect to some of its mechanics, then it's okay to use those. Now, if you are still uncomfortable with that, if you still consider it cheating, um, it is possible to remove those mechanics and um, not use them. But uh, we will give some examples, and I'm going to... Uh, throw Michael under the bus to um, <laughs> go ahead and take these, uh, at least the first one, because um, this is his um, uh, bread and butter right here. So uh, the first example that we kind of came up with while we were having the discussion on this topic was flashbacks in Blades in the Dark. I believe that it serves its purpose in the mechanic as a outside of your character that making decision in the narrative to help the narrative with your character's decision from the past to help with a future plan. It's, it's not the exact Bill and Ted scenario where they're already in the future and they want to say that they time travel back and fix it three days ago. This is a matter of using a flashback in the moment to say, all right, it's part of the planning of our mission. We had this set up. So we're now using the knowledge that we have now to say that we had this knowledge before when we were making our plan. And so it's a, it's really a meta gaming, meta knowledge scenario. And it works really well to simulate the idea that a plan was set before action started. It also helps players so they don't have to make a huge detailed plan in a mission another thing that i like is it's not it's actually incorporates throughout the entire phases of whatever it's called blades in the dark so even in free player downtime if a lawyer comes to you saying hey we're going to evict you from your headquarters you can go hey i want a flashback uh, an informant gave us information that this lawyer was coming today, and I forged documents to say you can't evict us. And then you present those to the lawyer. So it's a really good way of just dealing with things. I've never thought of... I never realized that you could actually do a flashback outside of a mission. I thought it was exclusively missions. That might have been a change Michael made, because I believe I read that in his book. I think I broadened it a little bit more than Blades did. I'm going to give an example... And then I'm going to support Becky's argument here for a second. So, and then I'll pass it over <laughs> to Becky. So, okay. So my other example was, um, and I'm going to use my own game um, just because I can't think of something outside of another outside in another game. I know they're out there. I just couldn't think of any. Um, but in my game, um, I use a thing called a network where you are all kind of linked together mentally as characters. And when you feel emotions or have dreams or um, have memories, a lot of times those can be shared across the network. Um, and so on one player's turn, uh, they might re reveal some information. And then on your player's turn or character's turn, you might use that information to do something in the game because you can say, oh, well, it was something I may have gleaned from the network. So that kind of... Uh, promotes a bit of that cross-turn meta gaming. I will say, for both of these examples, these are not 
necessarily player knowledge, whereas they're more character knowledge. It's knowledge that your character has in a flashback that they're then using in a previous... Now, yes, in the actual gameplay we're jumping back, but they're both information that your character already has. So, in the same token, it's also information in the network that the character has, and then they're then using it to influence how their character does something. So, it's not necessarily exclusively player knowledge that you're using to influence your character, which is what I really feel meta is. So, (laughs) Becky, did you have anything to add to that? I see what you're saying as far as the meta part, but I I still disagree. If it is built into the system, it's not metagaming. It's a mechanic that the system has already accounted for and you're using it in a way that it was designed to be used in then I don't view it as metagaming it's a mechanic you're supposed to use it yeah you might get some knowledge or change things but again it's designed for that so I don't I I understand why you term it metagaming I just don't agree with it I have a question Okay. Min maxing is uh, using gameplay mechanics that are there to be used. <laughs> okay, true, but <laughs> you're not using them necessarily in good faith. Let's say let's say it like that. It's you are intentionally a, yeah. you are intentionally bending the system to your own view of right. uh, what will make you the best. Whereas in a mechanic like the flashbacks, you're using a mechanic they put in the game to tell the story. And I feel like those are very different things. I can agree with that. Well, then I would just make all of those a rule and put them in good faith and make it part of the consensus. And there would be no metagaming at all. So then what you do is you go in... You go in and you include a section in the back of your book that says, How to min-max my system... And then <laughs> how to use player and then it's knowledge. No longer cheating. <laughs> I just want to go back to one of those other definitions of those five things that I had called metagaming. What Michael and Jason just described falls perfectly into metagaming in one of those descriptions. Cool, cool, good. Uh, that's <laughs> that's kind of sad that we're reading your mind. That's the collective hive mind. Uh, want me to cover the last one, Jason? Yes, yes. I was going to say that was one that you had brought up, Jared. So um, I'd like you to jump in on that one. I know I've done this exact situation as a GM, and I've seen other people do this as a character. But they've used meta-knowledge of an event to help remind somebody in a more serious roleplay moment in character about something. For example, in a game session, it's... Almost entirely roleplay, you're not really supposed to mention everything else. And so, when a character was struggling to remember something that happened in a different session, and plan accordingly, another character stepped forward and said, Hey, didn't you have a meeting back on blah blah blah? Even though that character had no knowledge of it, and it was completely player knowledge, it was used to prompt the other character into being able to play. Or the other player to be able to play their character because it should have been something they knew. And as a GM, I've also done the same thing using an NPC. I've even seen somebody literally just have a drunk guy at the bar go, 
Hi, I saw you at the circus last week. And that was the only addition to that NPC. The NPC did not matter at all. And it was just purely to prompt a player into remembering a scenario or a certain event that would help the story. Failing to see this metagaming aspect on that. What was that? I said I'm, again, failing to see the metagame aspect of that. It's knowledge that the characters didn't have. I get that. That's the only thing. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, and again, it comes down to uh, how you define it. So Becky has said, like, I'm defining it as... Yep cheating like it's cheating whereas my definition of it is you know knowledge that your character doesn't have that you're introducing to your character or you know as a gm introducing it to your npcs all right i'm go ahead michael i i'm gonna have to say something that uh it's gonna pain me to say this but becky has put an aspect on this that i'm having a hard time not starting to slide her away and agree. <laughs> and that is the idea of taking a rule and using it in good faith. I yeah. think that that might actually help redefine the idea of metagaming. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that I still don't think flashbacks and networks are not part of the positive side of using knowledge that players have that the characters might not have because when you go into a scene with a flashback you don't know what's going on now the mechanic helps you explain how your how your character knows but really that's a player's knowledge given to the character as part of the mechanic okay so i'll put this to you if you can give me a term that i can use that defines what we're talking about other than metagaming, then I'll start calling it that. But until then, metagaming means taking that information that is not known and adding it to the situation that it shouldn't be in. I just want to say, that's a radical idea. Some of my friends have been pressuring me about it lately. And that is that words have more than one meaning. <laughs> that is thing that we're going to tolerate here. Wow. No, no. No, it has to have it has one meaning. Wow. Until we come up with a new word. Mind okay. is blown right now because I I feel like the 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 lash has popped. It is cracked over my head and my own words. What do they say? Uh hoisted by hoisted by my own petard. Yeah, that's it. Yes, exactly. This is something that could possibly have two meanings. Wait, I have a word for Jason. Oh, yeah. the word is storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have to think on that. But uh, I'm going to continue to uh, positively meta all of my games. And, and uh, <laughs> that sounded dirty. Fine. That sounded very dirty. <laughs> and uh, I will not be storytelling anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Michael, uh, would you like to give us a full wrap up on this? I know we covered a lot of information. Are you sure so. you want me to? Because I have found a, a a change in my mind. But also, don't include any influences from your wife. That is metagaming. 
I think what we're... Why don't you give us a wrap-up that doesn't include any of your nonsense opinions? <laughs> I think... <laughs> we should let them finish. <laughs> I think what we've covered here is that we have come to the table with a definition of what metagaming is. And that is, in a nutshell, that it is a way to cheat as either the player or the GM. Now, I still believe that there is a good way and a bad way to do this because I see a cheating when a GM fudges on their dice. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, in a situation, it can be good, especially if the players are not aware of it and it advances the story and brings the narrative into a a fuller sense. Now, on the negative side of metagaming, I do believe that Becky has stated some very good points and she's kind of added that whole aspect of playing in good faith with the rules. It's similar to um, following the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. So I think in this conversation, we've actually been able to start some discussion that we will continue on after this episode. And so I, I really, I think this helps us with our own way of thinking about the shared narrative. Yes. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm glad that we at least, uh, that this became such a, like a discussion. Like usually we come to the table and we have an idea of what our opinion is on it. And we're just here to state what our opinion is. And I said table, I meant the podcast, whatever. But I think we actually, you know, worked some stuff out in the discussion. So I think this is really good. I like to view the podcast as an arena where mine, Jason and Michael's wills and interpretations just beat the crap out of each other until one is left standing. <laughs> And then the grand champion comes in and she beats the shit out of all three of us. I will not argue with Becky. Just going to state that now. All right. Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully you got some good uh, incorporation uh, for what we've already talked about so far this season. And we have thrown in a few things that we will be going into. Um, but join us next time when we'll be talking about theater of the mind so uh until then i've been jason i've been michael and becky and i've been jared bye-bye this has been a production of seventh level bardcast copyright 2021 listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to seventh level bardcast you can find links to previous shows, resources, and our social media at 7thlevelbardcast.com. Also, connect with us through our Discord link on the website. We invite our audience to offer feedback, suggest a topic, or for a quick conversation. To support the show, like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. Music provided by Arthur Vinke. <laughs>